This is the Housemade Podcast. We're your hosts, John Vieira and Nick Bobbin. We're here to cover your questions about home bartending. So let's get into it. Hey, welcome back, guys. Another episode of the Housemade Podcast. Today, we're going to tackle bourbon, which is a pretty hot topic nowadays. Bourbon's super popular, but there's a lot of uh, confusion. As to what it is. about Yeah, like exactly what it is, or, or what does it mean to be bourbon? Because there's so much whiskey out there, so much good whiskey, uh, that it can be a little confusing. So let's dive in. Yeah, okay, so let's start there. So it's whiskey. Which is, that's the confusing part, I think, is the actual category of whiskey itself. Yeah, whiskey is a vast umbrella. Yeah, so whiskey spans the entire globe, and it it essentially is the likeness that the U.S. government defines it as spirits distilled from a fermented mash of grain at less than 50% alcohol by volume, having the taste, aroma, characteristics generally attributed to whiskey and bottled at not less than 40% alcohol by volume. So that literally means anything. So that is scotch is a whiskey, right? Has to be made in Scotland. Has to be made in Scotland. Canadian whiskey yeah, which is uh, literally almost the exclusively no blended, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like the category is called Canadian blended, I believe. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a hyphen, though. I don't know. Um, Japanese whiskey. Japanese whiskey, which is very similar in a lot of ways to scotch, but is technically different and does not come from Scotland. Mm-hmm. So you can't call it scotch. Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey. Okay. Um, and so that. And you got American whiskey, right? But that. That brings us back to bourbon. Yeah. Because that's what it's called. It's called bourbon whiskey. But there's more than well, just bourbon. But that okay. Well, let's start with bourbon because let's just let's let's start there. So it is the U.S. government defines bourbon whiskey as whiskey produced in the United States at not exceeding eighty percent alcohol by volume from a fermented mash of not less than fifty one percent corn and stored at not more than sixty two percent alcohol by volume in charred new oak containers. Okay. That's literally what the law says. So that so means... We're talking corn. Corn. Bourbon, synonymous. Bourbon is corn. With corn. Yep. So, and it can be made anywhere. Yeah. So uh, it can be made in Utah, can be made in Colorado, can be made in New York. That is probably the, the most common question regarding bourbon that I get asked is, does it need to be made in Kentucky? Technically, um, no. Technically, no. All 95% of it, or at is, least close to that, is, is, coincidentally, but it does not have to be. Yep. Which is, so that's cool. But there's a lot of, as as we were digging into what's what, there's a lot of other um, labels that you can start to slap onto this stuff. Yeah, um, which is super interesting. So we were talking about the mash bills, and we're not going to go into grave detail with this because we're talking about bourbon today. Yeah. However, most of you guys listening are aware that there's other types of whiskey, right? Rye is probably the the other most notable one besides bourbon, but you've also got uh, whiskey, American whiskey, specifically made from uh, malted barley um, and primarily wheat. Mm-hmm. And all of these rules and everything that we just read from the TTB is exactly the same across the board for these categories, at least, uh, except for instead of 51% or more corn in the mash bill for bourbon, when you talk about rye whiskey, 
it has to have 51% or more rye in the mash bill, so on and so forth. Um, and there's there's a bunch of different styles. So that is the main difference. Just remember that as you go through, if something's labeled as a malted whiskey, they're talking about malted barley. Yeah. And I think to also touch on a, the mash bill, what a mash bill is, is the combination of grain that they're using uh, to ferment before they even start distilling the product itself. So we're literally talking about the corn, wheat, rye, barley, whatever you throw into your fermentation bat and then let the yeast start eating it. That's what they call a mash bill. And that's a big part of your flavor profile, right? Just that's what everything. Makes, that's yeah. what makes these products different. Think about it like a marinade. So you're like, yeah, so I'm going to make um, I'm going to make a tri-tip. Yeah. Well, what do you get a marinade in? Well, I like to do this, this, and this. And somebody else might say, well, that sounds pretty good, but I like to do this, this, and this. Yep. And so that's that's where all of these um, big differences in the flavors come from. Yeah. Uh, so it was just, it's a, the government stepped in to regulate what makes whiskey or uh, bourbon, sorry, a bourbon. And, and that's where, that's where you get the regulation on the mash bill. It is interesting to note, uh, this is pretty self-explanatory to a lot of people that, that drink whiskey. Um, but bourbon has to be made in the United States of America. It cannot be made outside of America. There's lots of fantastic whiskey. Yeah. Cause then it's called whiskey when you right, leave, exactly. leave the U S there's plenty of great products that are made outside of America, yeah. but it has to be made in the United States to be considered bourbon. Yeah. So it's like, so bourbon is to America what tequila is to Mexico. Yeah. It's our national spirit. Yeah. If you could get your hands on some agave, you could make something in the U.S. that was very similar to, to tequila. But you couldn't but call you it tequila. But you could not call yeah. it tequila. I don't even think you'd call it mezcal. No, you probably, there's probably some kind of very strict <laughs> guideline. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I don't even know what you would call that. Uh, anyways, so... There's more labels you can slap onto these bourbons as well. Oh, I think I think we didn't even touch on this. There is no age requirement for bourbon. Yeah, which I thought there was. Just the straight up like minimalist category of bourbon could be made anywhere in America. It has um, upper level distillation um, alcohol by volumes, and it has aging alcohol by volumes requirements, and it has bottling alcohol by volume requirements, but it doesn't actually have an aging requirement. So it has to touch the barrel. It has to touch a barrel, and it has to be a new barrel. So you'd have to age it for a certain point of time anyways because it's you can't reuse the barrel. Yeah, so it, it's a waste at it, that point. It classifies that it has to be stored in this barrel. It doesn't say that you have to age it. There's no definitive time mark. And now this is just, this is the bigger umbrella. Remember, we're talking about bourbon. Bourbon just whiskey bourbon whiskey as you whittle that down there actually does come the implication of age statements and yeah. and stuff like that so straight bourbon whiskey is where you start to introduce an age statement and that is bourbon whiskey stored in charred new oak containers for two years or more okay and it can still be called straight bourbon whiskey um, it goes on to say it may include mixtures of two or more straight bourbon whiskeys, uh, provided all of the whiskeys are produced in the same state. Okay. So, so it's a straight bourbon whiskey. Whiskey, if it's if everything it's, from the same state. Only if it's a blend. 
like if you're blending it. So like most of our Coraline products, right. Um, that you think of like, uh, the Buffalo trace, the maker's mark, the Elijah Craig's, all those guys, their core products, their small batches is usually what they label them as, but they're blended a bunch of different barrels together, but they can still call it straight bourbon whiskey because it's made in the same state and all those barrels that they blended together are at least two years old. And we're blending all these whiskeys together to get a very even, consistent, uniform product from bottle to bottle. Uh, that way, when you go to the store six months, eight months, three years, five years from now, the product stays the same. Exactly. And that was what we touched on in our tequila episode as well, is that to say that something's a blend can sometimes have this negative connotation mm-hmm. to it because you're thinking like, oh, what are you blending with it? It was no, like, they're bl- blending their own. Harder. It's better. Yeah, they're blending their own products. Yeah, because the Japanese were doing that too with their gin, remember? That's doing why it it's so gin. killer. Um, that was why blended scotch came to be a thing as well, mm-hmm. is people wanted consistency because a lot of the scotch back then was very hit or miss. Yep. And so somebody was like, look, this is madness. I need a consistent product. Yeah. Well, so that's like when you start talking about single barrels, right? Because you can buy these products. There's single barrel products that are regularly available on the shelf. One that comes to mind is the Four Roses. And it's not even crazily expensive. No. It's 40-ish dollars for the bottle, I think, or something. Maybe 45. Yeah, something like that. It's not crazy in the world of bourbon because some of this stuff gets really up there. So when I was first getting into bourbon, that set me backwards, actually, from single barrels. Because I bought, I liked their small batch so much. I was like, oh, I'm going to, I bet you I really like this. this is the next tier up. This is more expensive. Like I'm going to treat myself and buy this. Well, just happens that that single barrel that I bought was garbage. I, so I had a, I had a very similar experience and in my, in so, my youth, mm-hmm. I don't think I appreciated some of the things that I would now, um, but I had a very similar experience in the fact that I tried a single barrel product and there was so much bold character and flavor to it because it was not blended yeah. uh, on a larger they're, scale they're for usually consistency. Bottled, uh, higher ABV too. Yeah, it definitely was in this case. Um, and so I wouldn't say that this one that I had was bad, but it was very aggressive and it was different from what I was expecting. It was almost off-putting. Yeah, and when you buy something, when you decide to spend more money on something and you think this is the next tier up, this is going to be better. It's kind of disappointing. Even if it's still a good product, yeah. it's disappointing because it's not what you expected. Yeah, you still got to define, I guess, what better right. means. So just just for you guys, if you are perusing the liquor store and you see something that's maybe a brand you're familiar with or that you've wanted to try and they have a single barrel product that's different from their normal like core line, just know you may not like it as much. Yeah. It might be like kind of over the top. And on the, on the flip side, if you do super like it there's only 240 bottles of it that particular barrel you chances are you won't get the same one again yeah um, usually they they have batch numbers and stuff on it yeah but like if you super like it and that's why you get some of these uber duber rare kind of whiskeys and you hear about this stuff that's going for thousands and thousands of dollars a bottle it's because it was one from one of these barrels and the certain distiller and it was fire it was so good but it's a limited quantity it's a supply and demand isn't that what's so funny about like collecting you find something that's so amazing you're willing to spend that price but you can't drink it and enjoy it because you're collecting it because it's worth money <laughs> yeah because it's so yeah. i have a friend that collects comics and that's his oh, whole thing bummer is yeah because he, he can't even read them yeah 
he can't enjoy the comic he can hold it and look at it yeah in a like airtight case yeah. and and i i get it i understand uh, it's just kind of strange to me i, I guess i'm i'm kind of one of those guys it's like if i it's meant to be enjoyed yeah yeah if i get something especially if i'm spending some serious coin on it like i'm gonna use that thing <laughs> back in the day like my guitars would always get just jacked gnarly jacked up and everyone's like oh man why don't you take care of that like why don't you do this and that i'm like it's a tool man i got it to i yeah i got it mess to thrash it on yeah. yeah okay so uh straight bourbon whiskey which brings us to the labels that most people see now on a bottle right they're called kentucky straight bourbon whiskeys so you're literally talking about the state specified state kentucky straight meaning that it has to be aged at least two years and made in the same state. And they just literally define the state for you on the label. And then it is bourbon whiskey, which we touched on being corn and in new charred oak barrels. And so that's the label that everyone, everyone usually sees, I think. Yeah. And I think uh, Buffalo Trace is a really good example. I know there's a million of them out there, but we're big fans of the Buffalo Trace distillery at Craft. Um, and the the reason why I say this is because when you look at their their product label, the, this is what you see. There's not a whole bunch of extra writing. There's not a whole bunch of stuff going on. You see this bottle. You see this amber-colored liquid in it. You see this buffalo on the front of it. And under that, it literally has their logo. It says Buffalo Trace. And below that, it says Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. That's all that's on the front of it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Uh, it's just a really good example of what that looks like in the wild and then you're going to see other bottles like uh like blanton's blanton's is a cool bottle kind of short and stubby it's good bourbon Mm -hmm. but it's got a ton of writing on it if you look at that label and it's like a tiny strip well that's that's a single barrel product too yeah that one is single barrel so they're not the same but what i mean is like when you're looking at the the vernacular on these labels and the descriptions like some labels are a lot easier to tell what you're looking at Mm -hmm. than others um okay so then i also want to talk about bottled and bond because this is a pretty good hack uh that i've i've found out Uh, you don't have to spend a ton of money but if you find like a bottom ish shelf bottle and it says bottled and bond on it chances are it's gonna be good yeah well because it's extremely consistent yeah so that the bottled and bond uh, label came out of an act called the Bottle and Bond Act of 1897, um, which was the one of our government's like first uh, things to try and make whiskey consistent or make bourbon. Con- I don't even think it was called bourbon at that point in history. Um, and so they laid out that it must be produced in one distilling season and a distilling season is January to June or July to December. So it's either first six months or the last six months of the year. Which is why most of these bonded products are allocated as well. Yeah. Uh, because they only come out at a certain point in the yeah. year. Well, and they're aged longer. So it's it's one distilling season from one distillery produced by one distiller. So if it's a big distillery with multiple distillers. Um, and then it has to be aged for not less than four years and then bottled at 50% alcohol by volume. Now, the whole time that it's aging for those four years, it has to be in a government bonded warehouse. So the distillery literally has to call up the feds and be like, hey, 
will you come put a lock on our door and monitor this warehouse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder whose job that is. Like, um, So b- back to what you said, because um, I feel like when we talk ABV, sometimes it just like flows in one ear and, and out the other. All bonded products are 100 proof. Yeah. 50% alcohol by volume. That's yeah. just where they have to be. So any product that you find on the shelf that is a bottle and bond product will not be anything other than 100 proof proof which proof is just double the alcohol by volume i like i for my numbers brain i like alcohol by volume a lot more because it makes more sense to me when so i'm like looking at a bottle i'm like oh 50 percent of this bottle is ethanol the other 50 is water and and flavoring right. from the barrel it and actually stuff. yeah it's way more intuitive it makes a lot more sense because you can only have a hundred percent of something right yeah so if it says like, oh yeah, this is a fifty-six percent ABV. Okay, well that means in this bottle, there's fifty-six yeah, percent of it. There's is, more booze than other right. liquid. I think that's a better way to look at it. But uh, because of the marketing and the stuff that people see, a lot of times the proof, especially well, on bonded items, like well, that's yeah, the proof. Big, proof is a uh, is a, a strictly American thing, I think. Yeah, I think it might be actually, and I don't even know. We should look up where that came from because yeah. it doesn't. It's really not necessary, but um, no, the but reason it's, on, I, it's everywhere. Yeah, the reason I brought that up is because like the Rittenhouse bottle mm-hmm. and stuff. Not that that's a bourbon, by the way, but um, any bonded product that you see, that's usually a really big push on the label. Is like one hundred proof, like it's just right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so this is like that's like an extra above and beyond step that the distiller has to take to get this bottled and bond label on their product. And here's the craziest part is they're not always crazy expensive. Like Rittenhouse is a, is a rye. Absolutely phenomenal. It's like 20 bucks, 23 well, bucks. It's like probably closer to 25 now. I think it's gone up a oh, little okay. bit, but still that's a phenomenal price for the oh, bottle yeah. that it is. Oh, well there's all kinds of things. I'm j- just looking around at the bottom shelf, bottom two shelves of like whiskey and you run across one that says bottled and bond, like try it. Chances yeah. are it's pretty good. And, and a lot of these brands have one. Oh yeah. Like if you, if you can find it, uh, and well, some of the nicer brands too, their bottled and bomb products are probably more expensive and they're probably harder to come by on, on purpose. Right. It's more, it's more of like a elaborate marketing thing. Whereas like the cheaper brands is they're just like, Hey, we, we're we, trying to sell stuff. Yeah. They're like, look, our stuff's good. We have this. So a really good example of that. I don't know if you guys are listening. I'm not sure what's available in your area, but something that's available here. That's really good is the old granddad bonded. Um, the regular old granddad is not very good, mm-hmm. but the bonded one is actually killer, pretty killer. And it's, I think it's like 22 or $23. Ooh. Okay. So here's, here's a good thing. Like if you want to get into, into bourbon and where do you start when you go, cause especially the liquor stores here, you walk into it or, or like the bar, half of it is bourbon. Well, I think you look at price point, right? At least that's where my brain would go. It's okay. like, okay, where am I going to start? What? I'd go to the liquor store, I'd look at what's available, and I would say it's pretty. It's a pretty safe bet to try to avoid the very bottom shelf. Yeah, I would say. In my case with... Well, because you're going to run into stuff like Old Crow and Monarch and... Yeah, Idaho Silver and yeah. nasty stuff. I mean, Evan Williams is down there. It's probably it's probably I'm, the best of the bottom. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I haven't spent a long time since I tried Evan Williams. And you find diamonds in the rough, too. Like, I'm no, not saying yeah. that, like, anything... Well, like Down HH, there. for example. So we use that very heavily as our well in the bar. We advocate a lot for it. it is very firmly a bottom shelf bottle. 
yeah, so but it was it's, 11 bucks. But it's really, really good. It's probably the best utility, which we've talked about this before. It's probably the best utility uh, bourbon bottle in our area. But yeah, I, I think for me, I'd walk in and I'd look at kind of those middle couple shelves and I'd try to lock price points into it and just say like what what seems to be comparable yeah um knowing what i know now because of this show i would absolutely buy four bottles at once and just do an actual shootout and just commit to drinking them (laughs) i know that's probably a lot for some of you but it's because you're talking like a hundred bucks you know it's such an enlightening experience to do the blind method the way that we've done um because it takes the marketing and it takes the the hearsay and all that stuff completely out of the equation it's really cool Uh, okay, so sorry, I just I just Googled where does proof come from, and it says according to legend, the concept of proof comes from soldiers in the British Royal Navy who, back in the 18th century, had to douse their gunpowder in rum as a test of its potency. Oh, okay. Which so it's kind of proof makes sense. of the potency. So if the wet gunpowder still ignited, it was proof. So the alcohol was higher than 57% because that's flammable. Wow, okay. So if you doused your gunpowder in, in rum and it didn't light, you're like, that's nah, not good rum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not drinking that. <laughs> no, that's that's really funny. Um, but uh, no, it does say according to legend, so who knows? That makes perfect sense, though. I mean, that's... I, that's hilarious. This, that's alcohol history in a nutshell for you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, okay, so uh, whiskeys, or sorry, bourbons, where do we start? So actually... We are doing another shootout with some bourbons where we think... Um, are we, we, we going to do uh, a shootout where we know what they are and just taste them? Or are we going to do a blind... I think I think we should do the shootout because they're so wildly different. They're going to be different. They're going to be very different. It's just, it's just like the... I mean, think... Oh, no. Tequila, we did... But we could do a blind We one. could do a blind because I think about the color would be the main thing that would give it away. And they should all be like... Very close. similar, yeah. Okay, and, and and we picked stuff that's all very firmly in the same price, price range. Point, right? And I just I tried to pick different um, parent companies. So I picked up a bottle of Maker's Mark, which was actually the most expensive. Um, and then I picked up a bottle of Old Forester, which was actually the cheapest. And then we got an Elijah Craig, and I got one more. I have to look. It was in that Buffalo box. Trace. Oh, it was Buffalo Trace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you're talking about 19 to $29, I think is our price range. And the old Forester was on sale for 19. It's usually like 24. So then you're talking about a $5 price difference here. And I, I really think that. And I picked all st- Kentucky straight bourbon whiskeys. It's all the same labeling. Yeah. Very, we should do it blind then because right, they're very it. comparable. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I think that twenty to thirty dollar price range is going to be the, the good, sweet spot. Good spot to start. One of my favorite bourbons when I was very first starting getting into this whole thing was um, the Four Roses Small Batch. That is a good bottle. The Four Roses Yellow Label is their cheaper one. It is not nearly as good. Their Small Batch is phenomenal. It's a little expensive. It's like thirty three dollars, and then their single barrel, as we already talked about, it was off putting to me when I started. Yeah. And I actually did try that same bottle. Um, maybe, maybe like six years ago now, mm-hmm. like before I cared as totally. much yep. and I, I wasn't a huge fan. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, join us 
next time, let's do that. Is there anything else we need to uh, cover in this one, you think? I don't think so. I did find this little tidbit that I'll mention that I just thought was really interesting. I was trying to figure out where the name bourbon came from. Oh, yeah. Do you, I, do you know I, the answer to that? Uh, no, but I, I did read, uh, I, I just in this research, there's, I did There's read speculation. This. I don't know if anyone knows for sure. It's probably just like everything else in cocktail history. Oh, yeah. I thought this was interesting, though, because I've never, I've never really thought about it, but um, it says that it's most likely either from Bourbon County in Kentucky, which mm-hmm. seems like the obvious answer. Yeah, but Bourbon County got its name from somewhere, too. Exactly, which this goes into say, um, or Bourbon Street in yep. New Orleans, which when I hear... When I hear both of those, I assumed they came from, from the whiskey. The whiskey. Yeah. The the notability of that. But it's from France, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, both of those things took their names from uh, the House of Bourbon, which is a European royal house of French French origin. Hmm. So I, th- I just thought that was really interesting. I kind of stumbled upon that. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense for history, right? Because this whole continent that we live on gets all of its roots from either the French, English, or Spanish. Those were the conquerors of the old world, and they conquered this new world. And that that's all of our yeah. history comes we're, from We're just there. a bunch of people trying to escape the persecution. Exactly. And then we just started making bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, join us next time. We're going to apparently do a blind taste test. Yeah. That's more fun um, of some popular bourbon brands. So let's get after it. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.